one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to the special Trick or Treat Thursday specials Because You're Home podcast. This week we're looking at Irish ghost stories and in preparation for this I had looked up like that when I was researching Irish ghost stories I came across a really good Irish Times article and it was on ghost stories told not at Halloween but on St. Patrick's Day in 1888 someone had written them down. So obviously you know 1888 Crack was hard to come across. So, you know, someone instead of singing is singing an Irish song or talking about St. Patrick, getting those pesky snakes out again, they were like, tell you what, I'm going to scare the shite out of you instead. Um, so there was a book that had come out um, and it was, it was a part of a series called Fireside Tales of Many Counties. And so it's a collection of legends, kind of humor, short stories, poetry, a lot of stuff, but it also had a version of Irish ghost stories. So I'm going to do one on The Woman in White, which every time I read the title made me think of Christopher's Lady in Red, because obviously Irish, Irish. Um, so without further ado, not The Lady in Red, but The Woman in White, which I just have to think, everyone always has a woman in either white, grey or black. Yeah. Just if it's a ghost story, it's like you have that the um, Daniel Radcliffe film the, the Woman in Black which is a remake of another of an older film like it's always it's just something you go back to so Pat Gill of County Kildare was driving towards Dublin with the load of country produce he had made a comfortable seat for himself on the car and had plenty of hay about him and under him he was pleasantly employed thinking of nothing in particular dozing and giving an eye to the proceedings of his beast he was between the mill of Baltracy and the crossroads of Borheen, when he was startled by the appearance of a woman dressed in long white clothes, crossing the fence and advancing into the road. She came up to the horse and walked on with him, close by his neck. The driver chucked the beast's head to the opposite side for fear he should tread on her feet or along roads, but she still kept as close to him as before, and sometimes he thought he could see the lower part of the horse's foreleg through her dress. The matter has now become very serious. He could not keep his eyes off the apparition and he felt his whole frame covered with a cold perspiration. He became bewildered and could not determine either on going on or stopping. So the horse finding matters left to himself, jogged on, apparently unconscious of his fellow wayfarer. The centre of the crossroads of Borheen is or was occupied by a patch of green turf. And when they came to its edge, the white figure stood still while a portion of the shaft of the car on that side seemed to pass through her. Gill, on observing this, draw the beast at once to the other side, crying in a voice made of tremulous by terror. By your leave, ma'am. On went the horse in the car, the edges of the road preventing him from seeing the white form. Having advanced two or three yards, he looked back, fearing to see a mangled body on the road behind him. But he saw instead the white appearance standing in the centre of the plot of grass, her hand seeming to shade her eyes as she looked earnestly after him. Terrified as he was, he never turned his gaze till a bend in the road cut off his view. The neighbourhood of Borheen, Baltracy and Rathcoffey was blessed, or the contrary, in times passed by a fortune teller and charm concoctor Molly Anthony by name. I love that. Charm concoctor. 
<laughs> that is my trade. Here lies Emer McKeown, a charm concocter. That's what all the fellas say. <laughs> <laughs> So, unedifying was her life and conversation that the priest refused to have any religious services performed for her after her death. She left a son who has acquired some skill in curing cattle by herbs and did not pretend to have any supernatural gifts. A farmer, Pat Ben, at whose house he had remained about a fortnight and who was well pleased with his performances, was passing near the Green Hill in his jaunting car, accompanied by Jack Anthony, the doctor, when a sudden old woman in a red cloak appeared to them between the bushes on the road fence and cried, Jack, it's time for you to come. Sir, said Jack to his patron, will you excuse me a minute while I go to say a word to this neighbour of mine? Oh, to be sure. Jesus, this was written in 1888. Um, Jack got on the fence and passed through the bushes, but the farmer was surprised at not subsequently hearing the sound of his or her voice. He waited for about the space of a minute and then bade his servant climb the fence and see if Jack was about to return. The servant did as he was told and the master observed him look along the inner side of the ditch, now to the left and to the right and then straight before him with a perplexed expression of face. The master sprung down, joined his servant and found he had a long range of vision right and left and then up the sloping side of the green hill and no bushes or rocks to afford concealment. Neither Jack nor the red-cupped woman were there in view. It was months before the doctor presented himself before his patron, and even then his account of his disappearance was not consistent in all parts. The writer was acquainted with Pat Ben and Jack Anthony and heard the former relate the adventure, and that's how the story was told. Ooh. So there's a bit, of, a bit extra there, a woman in white, and then the charm concocter after her death coming to, to take people along. Very good. So my ghost story is from a book by Michael Scott, Irish Ghosts and Hauntings. And I picked chapter 29, The Hitchhiker. So Patricia Wilde smiled at the blank-faced Garda sergeant and gently eased the BMW away from the curb. With an effort, she resisted the temptation to floor the accelerator and shower the cold-eyed bastard with gravel. But she was in enough trouble already. This was the third time in the month that she had been stopped for speeding and the second time by this particular guide. Are you aware that you were doing 82 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone? He asked her patronizingly. How are you supposed to answer that? Yes, I knew that's why I was doing it. Or no, I didn't know. Why do you think I was doing it? She reckoned the guide were jealous. They sat there behind their radar guns or whatever the hell it was they used. And they saw this fire engine red BMW speeding towards them with a pretty young woman behind the wheel. And even if she wasn't speeding, they were going to stop her. And 82 wasn't even that fast. The car would go a lot faster, she knew. While she'd been speaking to the Garda, dozens of cars had sped fast, breaking lights blazing as they suddenly realised that there were police car hiding in the narrow side road. Patricia glanced in her rear view mirror. She could still see the two cops standing on the road watching her. She thought the younger Garda was grinning. The woman scowled. There was good possibility she would lose her license this time. And what was she going to tell Brian? She rounded the curve and once out of sight of the police, changed her gears and shoved the accelerator to the floor. The heavy car surged forward, needle moving smoothly up. 
to 70, 75, 80. Holding the card a steady 80, Patricia cruised down the dual carriageway and 80 still wasn't that fast. Cars were still passing her. Brian was not going to be pleased about this latest speeding ticket. Sometimes he seemed to forget that he was her husband and not her father. He referred to her as the child, which made her squirm. He was nearly 25 years her senior and indulged her outrageously, buying her everything she wanted and lots of things she didn't. She knew that a lot of people thought she had married Brian for his money. They couldn't accept that she had genuinely loved him when she had married him four years ago. And now... They had been deeply in love when they married, but over the last couple of years, the differences in background, education, taste, age had become points of increasing friction between them. Everything he said or did seemed to get on her nerves. As the dual carriageway ended and the road narrowed, Patricia slowed the car minimally. The reserve tank light began flashing on the dashboard She swore softly as she meant to fill up her tank at the last petrol station, but her encounter with the guardy had driven the thought from her mind. A road sign flickered by Belbriggan, Drogheda, Dundalk, Belfast. We got a share there. Woo woo! (laughs) (laughs) Brian had been due to fly into Belfast Airport earlier that morning for a meeting with the managers of the hotel group he owned. He had planned to drive down to Dublin afterwards himself, but she had insisted on going up north to collect him. Belfast was less than two hours from the capital in her BMW, and she thought the long drive would do her good and give them a couple of hours alone together too, so they could talk. They rarely seemed to be able to find time to chat together anymore. When they first started seeing each other five, six years ago, they'd done nothing but talk. God, the things they talked about. She seemed fascinated by his wealth of knowledge, his wide range of experience, the stories of his travels. Brian, in turn, had been entranced by her vivacity, her enthusiasm for living, her eagerness to learn about fine wines and good food and theatre, all the things he knew about and took for granted, but which she had only dreamed of until then. Brian and Patricia had been the exact opposites. That's where the attraction lie in the beginning. But had they ever really been in love, she wondered now. Was she in love with him when she had her first affair two years ago, two years after their marriage? Didn't the fact that she needed an affair tell her something was very wrong with their marriage? The bright red, orange and yellow lights of a petrol station loomed to her left. She indicated and slowly cutting across the road and pulling into the station with the squirrel of tires. The young male attendant had only eyes for the car, even as she climbed out with her skirt hitched up, showing the length of a tan thigh. Philip, please, she snapped at him. Patricia was pulling out of the station when she noticed the hitchhiker. He was sitting on an army rucksack by the side of the road, And from his weary expression and despondent slump of his shoulders, she guessed that he'd been sitting there a long time. He was young, early 20s, his long blonde hair pulled back off his face into a tight ponytail. His face was a long oval with full lips and pronounced jaw. He reminded her of someone, but she couldn't think who. Her decision was made in in an instant. She caught a glimpse of his expression and she slowed and pulled over. 
the flaring of hope, then indecision, and finally relief. Patricia lowered the electric window as she came running up. His eyes were vivid blue. Thanks for stopping, he said. I'm looking for a lift up north. He had the, tra- the faintest trace of some accent she couldn't identify. Dump your bag in the boot. She pulled out up the lever that popped the boot lid open and watched as he heaved the bag inside, then brushed the dust off his clothes. You look like you've been waiting here a long time, she said as he climbed into the car. He exuded an early earthy scent. Musk and sweat, she decided. Very male. Not many lips today, <laughs> he replied quietly. How far have you come? A long way, he told her. When I left school, I decided to take a year off and hitch my way around the world. She was impressed in spite of herself, but asked, why? (laughs) To see what, he would say. He shrugged and grinned. Glancing at him, she decided she was even younger than she thought. I'm very attractive. Why not, he said. He swiveled towards her. You can call me Mark, he volunteered. I'm Patricia, Pat. He nodded. Didn't you ever want to do something crazy, Pat? All the time, she told him. Then she realised with surprise how bitter she sounded. She threw back her head and laughed. Oh, Mark, I wish it were that simple. I'm married. I have a husband. Responsibilities. Oh, he glanced pointedly at her hand, aware of the absence of a wedding ring. I guess that would have made it a bit different, all right. I don't like wearing jewellery, she said defensively, to the extent that that was true. If she wore a lot of jewellery, people were more convinced than ever that she married Brian for his money. But the wedding ring came off two years ago. Maybe Brian hadn't noticed. Maybe he was too preoccupied with his business to notice. He never said anything. And she felt... She might notice that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was thinking maybe Brian wasn't wearing a wedding ring either. He never said anything and she felt more like herself without it. I'm driving to Belfast now to pick up my husband, she said hurriedly. Approaching to the town of Balbriggan, she slowed the car. Most of the northbound traffic out of Dublin went through Balbriggan and its narrow main street was clearly always congested. So you're a student, she said, making conversation. A student on sabbatical, he grinned. Will you continue? Will you continue your education once your year of travel is over? She wondered. Absolutely. You can do anything once you have an education. And I want to do so many things. I might be a student until I'm 40, he added with a laugh. That's nice, Patricia said absently. She had never been interested in school, sitting in a classroom hour after hour, listening to teachers droning on about the most boring thing she knew. It was only when Brian began teaching her things that she got interested in learning. But that was different. And he didn't bother anymore. Maybe you should take some time off, Mark said quietly beside her. Go on a trip. Make some time for yourself. Alone, he added. Alone? Brian didn't, didn't like her going off alone. Older men, younger women. He didn't. He thought she'd get into trouble. And she did. When she had the chance, she thought, why not? What do you do for fun? Fun? She hadn't had much of that about fun in a long time. It seemed like such a childish idea. I go shopping, she told the hitchhiker. 
that's it? She didn't answer him. They drove on in silence for a while. She could feel his unspoken disapproval. Was her life so obvious? Flash car, expensive clothes, businessman husband who traveled and left a dissatisfied wife at home. She felt a sudden need to explain herself. You don't understand how it is, Mark. Life is never the way it looks from the outside. You seem to be doing all right. I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about time. When I was your age, and that's not so long ago, I used to think I had it all the time in the world. When I got married, though, there was always always demands on my time. Now I don't seem to have a moment to myself. Even when your husband's away, especially when he's away. There's a big house to run and social engagements and charities are volunteer time too. And and once you get on the merry-go-round, you never get off, she finished lamely. Sure you can, he said decisively. Just step off. You're only a child, she flared. You don't know what you're talking about. You simply don't understand. Maybe I understand more than you think, he said softly. She glanced at him, trying to work out his age. He really was good looking. That unlined skin, those even white teeth. Patricia felt the old restlessness stirring in her. I wish I was his age, she thought, and had just met, and the both of us were free as the wind. At that moment, he turned and looked at her, his eyes locking with hers, and she had the profound conviction. He knew exactly what she was thinking. Just step off the merry-go-round, Mark said again. It's easier than you think. Before it's too late, take something for yourself. What do you mean by that, she asked. But he didn't answer. Just sat staring out the window, watching the Irish countryside rush by. They neared Belfast sooner than she had expected. Mark was quiet. They crossed the border, letting her explain about picking up somebody at the airport. The border guards didn't even glance at him as Patricia did all the talking. No questions were asked. The BMW obviously belonged to somebody important and they were waved through. But as they neared the city, she had to ask her passenger, where do you want to get off? You're going to the airport. That'll do me, I suppose. She laughed. You can't hitch a ride on an airplane. No, he continued to gaze out the window. His silence was beginning to make her uncomfortable. She wheeled the BMW into the short-term parking lot and glanced at her watch. Brian's plane would already be down. She'd have to hurry. He hated to be kept waiting. Impatiently, she popped the lid of the boot. Get your bag, she told the passenger. As she got out of the car, expecting him to get out on his side. But when he walked around the car, he wasn't there. Neither was he standing beside the car, not still sitting in the seat. He simply wasn't there. Puzzled Patricia glanced into the boot. His bag was still there. A loose name tag attached to the chain was fastened to the strap. Idly, she went down to read it. Brian Mark Wilde. Patricia gasped. Brian never used his middle name, but it was Mark. And the features of the young hitchhiker were suddenly known to her from photographs she'd seen of Brian at that age. Why had she not recognised him before? How could his younger self be hitchhiking rides on the Belfast Road? Choking back a scream, she began to run towards the terminal. But it was too late, of course. She knew that from the moment she read the name tag, a professionally sympathetic airline 
official explained gently to her. We tried to get in touch with you, Miss Wilde, but you must have been en route. Your husband took ill on the flight and the plane turned back. There was a nurse on board and she did all she could for him, but he suffered a massive heart attack and there was nothing she could do, nothing anyone could do or have done. I'm very sorry. Patricia turned away. All the guilt welled up inside of her and then vanished and she realised that he'd known and forgiven her. She then wept. At the end of the dual carriageway on the Dublin-Belfast road, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed student hitches for a lift to Belfast. That took a turn at the end. It took a turn. So I've got one more um, from the, the Irish Times article, and this is called The Ghost in the Grage. I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's G-R-A-I-G-U-E. And it must be a town in Ireland, and I'm butchered at saying so. Grey, uh, and it goes like this: A lady in the neighbourhood of that old town, much celebrated for her charities, died, and great sorrow was felt for her loss. Many masses were celebrated, and many prayers offered up for the repose of her soul, and there was the moral certainty of her salvation among her acquaintances. One evening after the family had retired to rest, a servant girl in the house, a great favourite with her late mistress, was sitting beside the fire enjoying the dreamy comfort of a hard work person after the day's fatigues and just before the utter forgetfulness of sleep. Her mind was wandering to her late loved mistress when she was startled by a sensation in her instep as if it were trodden upon. Bad manners to you for a dog, said she, suspecting the collie of the house had been the offender. But to her great terror, when she looked down and around the heart, she saw no living thing. Who's that? She cried out with teeth chattering in her head. Its eye was the answer and the dead lady came visible to her. Oh, mistress, darling, she said, what is disturbing out and can I do anything for you? You can do a little, said the spirit. And that is the reason I have appeared to you. Every day and every hour, someone of my family and friends are lamenting me and speaking of my goodness, and that is tormenting me in the other world. All my charities were done only for the pleasure of having myself spoken well of. Nah, she had notions. Um, <laughs> she had no shame. Yeah, well, that's it. She just wanted, that's one of those people who just wants to do it just to be spoken well of. And they're like, ah, yes, to be seen, to be doing the right thing. I see you. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, we're on to you, woman. So she said, all my charities were done only for the pleasure of having myself spoken well of, and they are now prolonging my punishment. The only real good I overdid was to give once half a crown to a poor scholar that was studying to be a priest and charging him to say nothing about it. That was the only good act that followed me into the other world. And now you must tell my husband and my children to speak well of my past life no more, or I will haunt you night after night. <laughs> <laughs> the appearance the next moment was no longer there and the poor girl fainted the moment it vanished when she recovered she hastened into her settled bed and covered herself up head and all and cried and sobbed till morning everyone wondered the next day to see such a troubled countenance but she went through her business one way or another though she could not make up her mind to tell her master what she'd seen and heard she dreaded the quiet hour of rest and well she might, for the displeased lady visited her again in the same hour and reproached her of her neglect. Three times she enjoyed the dread visits before she made her acquired revelation. And that's where it ends. 
the end of the article says the story is a part of Lost Leeds series, a revisiting of lesser known stories that have made the pages of the Irish Times since 1859. So I don't know. That leaves it on a bit of a cliffhanger. I don't know. She made her revelation, so I don't know whether she decided she didn't want to be haunted by the old woman anymore. And she just, but could you imagine that? That's a bit of a, no one's going to believe you when yeah. you say, you can't speak anything nice about the very charitable woman because it turns out that she doesn't like this being said on the other side. Because the husband would be like, well, why didn't she come to me? Yeah. Why did she only come to you? She'll probably end up getting fired, become the town crazy, telling them, we're not allowed to speak nice things about her anymore. And then she's going to constantly be getting haunted every night. Yeah, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing, isn't it? And that is a very old Irish situation you'll find in stories that like that kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. In, in many ones, it's, it's a way that they pick it up in a lot of stories uh, yeah. throughout Irish, old Irish ways. But it's very funny to think that she was a woman who like that did it for the notions. A lot of older Irish mammies were like, yeah, see, see, I knew it. See? She didn't really want to do that charity work. She was an old bitch. Yeah, pretty much. Have you any other ghost stories, Grace, or would you like to leave it at that? I think I'll leave it at that. The ones in my book are quite long. So for anyone who was interested in that, that was just a little teaser of old Irish ghost stories, old and new um, Irish ghost stories. Uh, we'd recommend that you take a read of any books. There are plenty of books out there on Irish ghost stories. Or like myself, I looked it up online. There are many articles around this time of year. You will find plenty of articles online or even podcast episodes of Irish ghost stories. And it will just give you an insight into Irish, old Irish stories that were told around a fireside. And it might be the same as what would be said in your country. Or if you're Irish, it might just remind you of what it was like when you'd hear when you were a child. So join us next week um, for our main episode where we are going to be talking about the next three installments of the Friday the 13th franchise and um, for our final Trick or Treat Thursday. Yes, cannot wait. Make sure to follow us on Instagram um, because you're home with an underscore in between each word. And you can listen to us on most podcast platforms. And if you listen to us on Apple, we'd really appreciate if you could rate and review. And if you listen to us on any other podcast platform, just, you know, tell a friend and spread the word. Chat to you soon, my dear. Bye, guys. I won't lie. It was my first time reading it. I thought it was going to be a lot creepier than it was.